0: How many are happy to be in God's house this morning? Can you say amen? Amen. Good to see you here this morning. Today is uh, two things. It is the 75th anniversary of the Golden Gate Bridge. 75th anniversary of the Golden Gate Bridge, which is an iconic uh, symbol in the Bay Area. Uh, Today is also on the Christian calendar. It's Pentecost Sunday. Pentecost Sunday is a commemoration of what happened in Acts chapter 2 in the upper room on the day of Pentecost. Is this microphone on? Are you hearing me out there? Are you hearing me today? (laughs) That's my my little thing. All right. Um, So in keeping with Pentecost Sunday, I want to speak a word to you from the Lord. And the subject of my message this morning is, write this down in the back, the power of a prophetic people. The power of a prophetic people. The power of a prophetic people. Let's pray. Father, I pray today in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that you would speak to us by the power of your word, that you would grant us wisdom and understanding and revelation and insight, that you would release to us the full riches of complete understanding, and that you would enrich us in all utterance and in all knowledge. I pray it in Jesus' mighty name. Amen coming out of the book of Numbers chapter 11, and what's happening is that Moses is having a bad day. If you read Numbers chapter 11, Moses is having a bad day, and pastors sometimes have bad days. Every once in a while, pastors get a little bit overwhelmed. It was worse for Moses than any pastor I know because he had between 1.5 million and 3 million people in his congregation, and he was the only leader. He didn't have any assistant pastors or uh, associate pastors. He didn't have a uh, you know, a director of integration or, or a director of ministries. He didn't have anything. It was just him. And he was, he was trying to fix people's problems from the time the sun came up in the morning to the time the sun went down in the afternoon. And how many know sometimes that when you're going about doing the work of the Lord and you're giving your life to it, it can be overwhelming at times. So Moses is having a bad day. And if you look up uh, you know, in, in about verse 14, between 11, verse 11, he's mad at the Lord because <laughs> the people were wailing at the entrance to his tent. The, the people were wailing and crying and, and weeping. He's got 1.5 million people outside his tent crying. <laughs> Why? Because they want something different to eat than the Lord gave them. You know what they're saying? We're not being fed. Sound familiar? (laughs) So, uh, um, you know, manna from heaven is coming, but the people are wailing outside Moses tent. We're not being fed. And now Moses is going to pay it forward. He's going to give it to the Lord. Verse 11, he says, he asked the Lord, why have you brought this trouble on your servant? What have I done to displease you that you put the burden of all these people on me? Did I conceive all these people? Did I give them birth? Why do you tell me to carry them in my arms as a nurse carries an infant to the land you promised on oath to their forefathers? Where can I get meat for all these people? They keep wailing to me. Give us meat to eat. I cannot carry all these people by myself. The burden is too heavy for me. If this is how you're going to treat me, put me to death right now. If I found favor in your eyes and do not let me face my own ruin. God brought Moses to this moment for a purpose. He brought Moses to the place where he was done with his own leadership. To the place where he recognized that my ministry needs to come to an end. And there needs to be something more than just me. I can't go on this way. God. If you're going to leave me as the only one upon whom the spirit rests in the midst of 1.5 million people, kill me. I got 1.5 million people outside of my tent crying, wailing. I mean, these people are well, can you imagine a multitude wailing? I mean, like babies give us meat to eat. And God is sitting on his throne in heaven thinking, perfect. Moses, now you're ready for me to do what I'm about to do. Because my plan all along was to exceed your ministry. My plan all along was to have more than a prophetic leader over my people Israel. But now my plan is to have a prophetic people. Not just a prophet. It was by a prophet that he brought them out of Egypt. But God's desire was never to have a people led by a prophet. His desire was to have a prophetic people. Follow me. Look at God's response to Moses. Verse 16. The Lord said to Moses, Bring me 70 of Israel's elders who are known to you as leaders and officials among the people. Have them come to the tent of meeting that they may stand there with you. I will come down and speak with you there, and I will take of the spirit that is on you and put the spirit on them. They will help you carry the burden of the people so that you will not have to carry it alone. You see what God says? God says, Moses, I'm so glad you've come to this point. I'm so glad you've come to the end of your rope. I'm so glad you've recognized the inadequacy of your own ministry Now I can open the door and take your ministry and spread it out over the community. Take the anointing that's on your life and spread it out. Now I'm getting ready to take one Moses and multiply it over 70 elders. And I'm going to take the spirit that's on you and put it on them. But here's the, here's the difference. Now you're going to see them rise up in the same anointing that's on you. It's not going to be exclusive to you. There's going to be 70 other Moseses walking around here. Now you're ready for that. See, when you're at the place where you're saying, God, kill me, nobody can step on your toes anymore. Nobody's worried, well, maybe the pastor doesn't want me to help him lead. No, no, the pastor wants you to help him lead. He's in the tent praying, God, kill me. He's not in there saying, Lord, I hope nobody steps over my authority. He doesn't care about his authority anymore. He's not worried about his ministry anymore. He's not worried about his place and making sure people respect him anymore. He's saying, does anybody want it? Anybody want to be the pastor? Anybody want to be the pastor? Anybody? Any takers? I would be glad to give you this place. And God says, now that you're at the place where you're ready to relinquish some things, Now I'm ready to spread out the anointing over the people. Now watch what happens if you go down a little bit, down to verse 24. So Moses went out and told the people what the Lord had said. He brought together 70 of their elders and had them stand around the tent. Now understand, the tent of meeting is not the same thing as the tabernacle of Moses. The tabernacle of Moses, that was where everybody came to worship. The outer court, inner court, holy of holies. Moses had his own tent in the camp and it was called the tent of meeting just outside the camp. It was Moses personal prayer room. It was his prayer. It was the place where he went to meet with God by himself. Only person he took with him was Joshua, the son of Nun. Everybody else. The scripture said that when Moses would go to meet with God at the tent of meeting, every man of Israel would come stand at the door of his tent and watch Moses, Why? Because when Moses would go into that tent, the glory of the Lord would come down on it. And God would stand in that tent in a cloud and speak to Moses face to face the way a man spoke with his friend. Everybody wanted to see Moses being spiritual in front of them. That's what the tent of meeting was. The tent of meeting was Moses' way of being publicly spiritual on behalf of the entire body. What Israel had in Moses was one professional man of the Spirit. One man who could hear from God. And God never intended that his people should be led by one man who could hear from God and nobody else can. That's the model that most churches take, isn't it? We pay the pastor to go to the tent of meeting and meet with God and then come back and tell us what he says. We don't know how to hear from God ourselves, but that's not our job. That's his job because he's the Moses. He's the pastor of the house, and his job is to hear from God and then tell us what God says. That was never God's intention. Matter of fact, whenever God puts a man at the front, he puts him at the front as an example of what he wants everybody in the house to do and to be. He puts him at the front As a sign of the inheritance of every son and daughter of the house, God wants a prophetic people, not just a few prophetic people. Are you with me? So, the tent of meeting, God says, Moses, here's what we're going to do. Go gather 70 of the elders of Israel and bring them to your personal prayer meeting place. Bring them to your prayer closet with you. Take them to the same place where I meet with you. Take them to that place where they have simply stood and watched you go and thought they would never have access to what you had access to. Take them to that place, and I'm going to meet with them there the way I've always met with you there. Take 70 of them. Now the community is watching, and there's 71 people going to this prayer meeting. It's not just Moses. It's Moses and the 70 elders, and they get there. Watch what happens. Verse 25, then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke with him, and he took of the spirit that was on him and put the spirit on the 70 elders. Watch what happens. When the spirit rested on them, they prophesied. 70 prophets speaking at the same time. Sounds like chaos, doesn't it? Almost sounds out of order. Sounds like what happened in the upper room. In Acts chapter 2. See, we focus on tongues as if the gift of tongues was what happened in Acts chapter 2. But actually what it says is that there were men gathered from every nation under heaven. And each of them heard the people in the upper room speaking their own languages, declaring the mighty deeds of God. What they heard was prophecy. What the people in the upper room experienced was tongues. But what the people outside of the upper room heard was prophecy. That is, they heard 120 people speaking the word of God at the same time. Now, the difference is, in, in here in Numbers chapter 11, there were 70 out of 1.5 million that prophesied. In the upper room, 120 out of 120 prophesied. That is, in the upper room, God said, I'm not making any distinction. I'm no respecter of persons. I'm putting my spirit on everybody. And that is God's desire. Now, watch this. We see this all the way back in Numbers 11. We see the desire of God coming through so clearly here. Watch this. So it says, then the Lord came down in the cloud, spoke to them. The spirit rested on them. They prophesied. But then there's this little note at the end of the verse that says, but they didn't do so again. They had a prophetic experience. They had not yet had a prophetic lifestyle. They had a prophetic moment. And that prophetic moment was the sign that God's spirit rested on these 70 the way God's spirit rested on Moses. And the purpose of the sign was to demonstrate that these 70 elders were authorized to make decisions the way Moses was. In other words, the whole burden of leading the people no longer rested only on Moses Now there were 70 others that could make decisions alongside Moses. That was the purpose of the sign. So these 70 go out into the camp of Israel, and they start ministering to the people, and look what happens. Verse 26, however, two men whose names were Eldad and Medad had remained in the camp They were listed among the elders, but they did not go out to the tent. They didn't make the prayer meeting. Their names were on the list, but they didn't make the meeting. So you say, you missed out, right? They missed out, right? No. Their names were on the list. They were listed among the elders, but they did not go out to the tent. Yet, the Spirit also rested upon them and they prophesied in the camp. Watch this. These 70 elders, they go out to the tent with Moses. The Spirit comes on them. They prophesy. They go into the camp and start ministering to people, and these two men, Medad and Eldad, the Spirit comes from those elders onto them, and they start prophesying in the camp. Now, there was a young man that saw this going down, and he ran to Moses because he just knew Moses was going to put the smack down on this. He said, Moses, these two guys who didn't even come to your prayer meeting are prophesying in the camp. And Joshua, his aide, Joshua, who would later lead Israel, said, Moses, forbid them. Stop it. Put a stop to that. Moses, go put the smack down on that. They're trying to take your ministry. And look what Moses says. Verse 29, but Moses replied, are you jealous for my sake? (laughs) Are you jealous for my? Are you worried about me? You think they're stepping on my toes? Please. Do you think I care that somebody else can get a word from God too? You think I want to be the only one here who hears from God? You think that's what I desire is to be the exclusive spokesman for God among 1.5 million people? You think God has nothing more to say than what he says through my mouth? I mean, you think this infinite, eternal God decided that he would only speak through me, a finite, mortal man, and that's all he's going to do is speak through what he can put in my limited intellect and my limited mind and my limited heart? You think he, that's all he's got in his bag of tricks is me? You think he would limit himself to me? Are you crazy? Have you lost your mind? Are you trying to kill me? Don't you realize 15 minutes before this prayer meeting, I was asking God to kill me? Don't you realize I told him I didn't want to prophesy anymore? Look what Moses says. Are you jealous for my sake? I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets. Do you hear that? I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets. Moses said, my desire and my longing is not just the 70 plus 2. My longing and my desire is to see 1.5 million sons and daughters of God start prophesying all at the same time. I wish this is my dream, Moses says. And this is the dream of the Lord. God's desire was never to put his spirit on a few His desire was to put his spirit in everybody. Matter of fact, when he created Adam, he formed him out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. That word breath in the Hebrew is the word spirit. He breathed into his nostrils the spirit of life, and man became a living soul, literally Adam became a living being because of the gift of the Holy Spirit. God gave him the gift of the Holy Spirit, and that's what animated him. The moment he came into consciousness, he was filled with the Holy Spirit and in a face-to-face encounter with God. And that is what it means to be human. God's desire is for every human. It was his created intention that every human person would be filled with the Spirit and be in a face-to-face encounter with him. That's what it means to be human. So that the further we are from the Spirit of God, the further we are from our own humanity. So that when we mess up and we say, well, I'm only human, uh, no. That is not the mark of your humanity. That's the mark of your inhumanity. That is your flight from humanity. That is the distortion of your humanity. You want to know what only human is? Jesus Christ. Well, he's human plus divine. But Jesus was more human than you and I are because he was constantly filled with the Holy Spirit. You got that one, huh, Ray? Yeah, I saw a revelation happen. The light just turned on for you right there. Are you jealous for my sake? I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit on them. I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit on them. This dream was spoken of again in the book of Joel, chapter 2, verse 28. First, Joel is speaking of judgment that's going to come on the earth. But he says, and afterwards, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, not some flesh, all flesh. Afterwards, I'm going to take that which was reserved for a handful of prophets, and I'm going to give it to everybody. I'm going to take that which was reserved for a few, and I'm going to pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and daughters will prophesy. Listen, he says your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your little kids, your children that you think are too immature to prophesy, they're going to prophesy. The ones that you think are still wet behind the ears and got no business prophesying, they're going to prophesy. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Upon my servants and my handmaidens will I pour out of my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. And I'll show signs in the heavens above, wonders in the earth beneath, and it shall come to pass in those days that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Joel two twenty eight. Now, Peter, on the day of Pentecost, After this event, they're gathered in the upper room, tongues of fire appear over each head, they're all filled with the Holy Spirit, they speak in other tongues as the Spirit gives them utterance, and this crowd gathers to figure out what in the heck just happened. Do you know the first sermon of the Christian church, the newly formed Christian church, and it was the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that birthed the church? We should get that in our minds when we think of a church plant, we should think of a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit because that's how the church Listen, I've never, I've never seen a, a methodology for church planting that starts with an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We need to rethink our methodologies for church planting. The first sermon Peter preached was an explanation of, how, of, of why people act the way they do when the Holy Spirit comes. We're so afraid that the Holy Spirit's going to come and do something that people don't understand. Don't you realize that that is our whole opportunity to preach? When the Holy Spirit does something that people don't understand, now we got a crowd of people gathered to figure out what in the world is going on with them crazy people, and now we got something to preach about. The whole reason Peter had an opportunity to preach was because the Holy Spirit did something that people thought was crazy and out of order. Why are we so afraid that the Holy Spirit is going to do something crazy? Christians are way too afraid of looking crazy. I think the problem is we don't look crazy enough. I mean, you talk to an invisible person, and he talks back to you. The world already thinks you're crazy. We're trying to take something that's supposed to look crazy to the world and try to make it look normal, natural. No, there's nothing strange about us. When we talk to that invisible guy, we do it in the privacy of our own homes to create a safe place so that you could see Christianity without anything of the spirit in it. Mm, I'll leave that one alone. God wants all his people to prophesy. God's desire is that all his people would prophesy. Let me say to you that God's desire for you is that you would prophesy. God wants to put his spirit in you and put his word in your mouth. God wants you to prophesy. God's desire for you is that the spirit of God would rest on you and that the word of the Lord would burn in your mouth and you would speak it. God wants to make a prophet out of you. Look at your neighbor and say, God wants to make a prophet out of you. Come on, say it like you're a prophet. God wants to make a prophet out of you of you God's desire and when Peter got up to explain what the Holy Spirit did he quoted Joel 228 he said this is that which was spoken of by the prophet Joel this is what Joel was talking about God has fulfilled his promise and poured out his spirit on all flesh Literally, Peter is saying this is the beginning of that which was spoken of by the prophet Joel. God has now begun to fulfill that promise, and He's going to continue to fulfill that promise until the second coming of Jesus Christ. Come on, it, can I get an amen? Uh, I'm with you. Uh, say that. Uh, show you're right. Say something. I'm going to give myself an offering in a minute. God wants all His people to prophesy. The question is why. Why? First of all, we must understand what prophecy is. Prophecy is the stewardship of the words of the Lord. Prophecy is our stewardship of the words of the Lord. See, we don't understand that the word of the Lord requires a stewardship. And because of that, we don't take prophecy seriously. Prophetic words come we hear them, and then we go on, and we think to ourselves, well, I hope that I hope that really happens. Or, well, we'll see. You know, that'll probably happen. Well, maybe it'll happen. And a day later, we don't even remember what God said to us anymore. It's because we don't see prophecy as the actual word of the Lord. We see it as something somebody shared with us that they think perhaps came from God. And that's why we don't steward it. Let me tell you something. When a prophetic word comes and it's a real word from the Lord, those words are the very words of God. Those words are the very words of God, but those words must be stewarded. And prophecy is the stewardship of the word of the Lord. Amos chapter 3, verse 8, the prophet Amos said, a lion has roared, who will not fear? A lion has roared. If all of a sudden you heard a lion's roar from the other side of that pillar, I mean like you could could almost smell the breath of the lion and you heard it roar, how many here would not be afraid at all? Man, (laughs) we would freak out. Why? Because fear is the reflexive response to the sound of the roar of a lion. If you are in a room with a lion and he is not behind a cage, you heard about the guy that climbed over the the gate into the tigers, right, at the zoo and got mauled to death? What did he think was going to happen? Like, did he think those were toy tigers? (laughs) Right? Did he think they were play tigers? A lion has roared, (laughs) who will not fear? And then he says, the Lord has spoken. Who can but prophesy? Just as, the, as fear is the reflexive response to the roar of a lion, prophecy is the reflexive response to the voice of the Lord. That is, when God speaks, you can't help but prophesy. When God spe- you find yourself, when you come into the presence of the Lord, you find yourself prophesying before you even realize what you're doing. And all prophecy is, is when God declares a word and you repeat it. When God speaks something and you repeat it, you just prophesied. Ray, if you go home and tell somebody the word I spoke over you today, you just prophesied. Why? God said that to you, and when you repeat it, you enter. See, you think prophecy is some ecstatic, spontaneous, uh, irresistible act. We think of prophecy as something that comes over us and irresistible. Oh, oh that's a, the Lord says unto you, oh, I couldn't even control that. no, that's not what prophecy is. it's not foolishness. You know people when they say, Oh, i couldn't control that, that's not even biblical. Paul said, the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. Don't give me that, I couldn't control that. and I've heard people prophesy some nonsense. And say, I was in a trance when I said that. Well, it was a demonic trans or it was just the flesh because that wasn't even the Lord. You know, there's, there's real prophetic words, but there's also uh, prophylying. You know, a prophylie, not prophesy, prophecy. There's also what I call moving in the pathetic, not the prophetic, the pathetic. He said, I just got a pathetic word, and it wasn't from the Lord. You hear some stuff, and you say, that was just pathetic. That was not prophetic. It didn't come from God at all. It was pathetic. But when it was a real word from the Lord, those words are nothing to play with. It It is the very words of God, and they will come to pass in your life, but they require a stewardship they require a stewardship do you know prophetic words have changed my life prophet of uh, one prophetic word can shift you from one place to another place. One prophetic word can set you free from stuff that bound you. One prophetic word can can give you the the level of encouragement you need to fulfill your destiny in God. I could tell you story after story of prophetic words that came to me when I was young. I was on a bus when I was 17 years old and an old woman began to prophesy over me. She looked at me. I I didn't know this woman from Adam. I'd never met her before. And she looked at me and said, young man. I said, yes. She said, you will preach the gospel to the ends of the earth. I see you standing in a large auditorium, and the moment you enter, the entire crowd stands to receive you, and you're going to preach the word, and the people will receive it. And then she began to name countries that I would preach the gospel in. She said, I see a globe, and I see your feet going all over it. I was 17 years old on a bus leaving the mall, uh, Hilltop Mall, coming from Hilltop Mall, and this old lady starts prophesying to me about me preaching the gospel all over the world. Actually, a couple years before that, I went to the Church of God in Christ uh, um, Holy Convocation. Okay. My mother took me there and took my, my two brothers and my cousin. My, and, my, and she said, wait a minute. Let's see if, if the prophet is still here. There was this old man. Everybody knew him to be a prophet. She said, let's see what he has to say over you boys. We were just little kids. Do you remember that, Charles? You don't remember it at all. I remember it. And so she took us in the back, and we found the prophet. He was just back there hiding out by himself. He always hung out by himself back there, probably because if he hung out around people, he would see stuff he didn't want to see. That's the thing about people who are real prophetic, is that they don't like being around too many people because they start seeing stuff they don't want to see, stuff they don't want to know, right? And so she took us back there, and she said to the prophet, she said, These are my boys, and this is my nephew. These are my three sons, and this is my nephew. Do you have anything to say to them? And he stood up, and he looked at us. And he looked at my cousin, and he said, you're too goofy. You need to get serious. I was like, dang, that's the word of the Lord, man. <laughs> that's right on. <laughs> <You know? laughs> he said, you don't know how to be serious about nothing, and you need to get your act together. And then he looked at my other, bro- he at my other two brothers, and he said stuff over them. I don't even remember what he said. He said, you were going to travel. And he said, God was going to use you. I don't remember. The only, only thing I remember he said over you is that you're going to travel. But then he looked at me, and he said, you're going to preach the gospel all over the world. And he spoke that same word, he said, "I see you going," and he began to name countries that I would preach the gospel in. Do you know those words were hidden deep in my heart? I remember them like it was yesterday. I began Do you know for a 15 year old to remember to hear the word of the Lord? Ray, the moment you walked in this morning and I saw you come by, I felt the pleasure and rejoicing of the Lord over you, and that word began to burn in my heart to you that God said i've made." I've given you the right to make me your dwelling place that God is going to be your dwelling place. And I saw you looking back at the end of your life and saying, God, you have been my dwelling place from a young age. I found you to be my dwelling place, and I've dwelt with you all of these years. And I saw you preaching the gospel. Even in your early 20s, I saw you preaching the gospel. I saw people coming to Christ through your ministry, people getting broken free. You know, when I spoke that word of the Lord over you, if you take those words and hide them in your heart and begin to meditate on them and begin to speak them over your life, do you know that they will set the course for your life? Do you know that they'll pull you out of pits? You no, know those words will strengthen you in times of weakness. I've had prophetic words that I've treasured. I'd go home and write it down. Now you know what I learned to do is pull out my iPhone and record. It's the stewardship. It's the steward. It requires a stewardship. Prophecy is the stewardship of the word of the Lord. And the thing you need to get in your head, see, the thing is, you think getting a word from God is so hard, and that's why you don't get any. Because it'll be to you according to your faith. And you just believe that it's so far from you. You think you need to get in your prayer closet and pray for hours before God starts speaking to you. Listen, I believe that before we pray, we should prophesy first. Prophesy first and pray second. What? What? this Does that make any sense to you? Probably not. It didn't make sense to me when the Lord spoke it to me. He said, son, stop praying and asking me for a word. Prophesy first and then pray. And I said, Lord, how do I do that? And the Lord said that I want you to start by speaking the stuff I spoke to you yesterday. See, we have to reinvent the wheel every day. If God spoke a certain level of victory to you yesterday, why is it that you wake up? deeper in the pit this morning than you were yesterday, and you think you have to regain that level of victory that you lost last night. You didn't lose it. Get up and speak it, and and let that be the starting place. I just begin to speak the word of the Lord and prophesy first, and then I begin to pray. And that prophetic word from yesterday becomes the ground level for today. Otherwise, I'm below where I was yesterday and got a climb. I'm just getting coming back up to the same place I was at today, and then the next day I got to climb back up to the. No, today I'm going to go higher than I was yesterday, but it starts when I start prophesying. Whatever God has given you, He gives it to you for keeps. When He speaks to you, it's yours, it's your inheritance, you possess it. Wake up and speak it every day. Speak it over your own life. Look in the mirror. Lay hands on yourself and speak that word. Ray, I want you to do that. I had him record that word that I spoke over you. We're going to send you a link on Facebook. I want you to get that word in your spirit and look in the mirror and prophesy it to yourself every day. Lay hands on yourself and speak it over your own life every day. Are you hearing me? God wants all of his people to prophesy and the reason God wants all his people to prophesy is because prophesying is a vehicle of the transformative power of the Holy Spirit. Prophecy is a vehicle of the transformative power of the Holy Spirit. Prophecy transforms people. First of all, it transforms those who hear it. Prophecy transforms those who hear it. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, 24 and 25, he said, if all of you prophesy and an unbeliever comes in, the secrets of his heart will be laid bare. And falling on his face, he'll glorify God and confess that God is truly among you. Did you know that the most powerful form of evangelism is prophetic evangelism? Why? Because people need to know that God is real. And when you start talking to somebody about stuff that you shouldn't know, when God starts opening people up and reading their mail, we've seen people get saved that way. We had somebody walk in off the street one time. My wife called him up and said, come up here. And they came up, and she said, I just had a vision of you. And she shared the vision and read their mail. They broke and started crying. They received Christ right there at the altar. Why? Because they walked in not knowing if he was real or not. But suddenly, God is speaking right to me, telling me the secrets of my heart. You know what happened? The secrets of his heart were laid bare. And suddenly, he started to glorify God and confess, God is truly up in this place. Prophecy transforms people who hear it. Why? Because it causes the secrets of their hearts to, lay, to be laid bare. But this is the thing we need to understand. Prophecy is not the revelation of sin. It's the revelation of God. We need to get that in our heads because there's a form of prophecy out there that simply exposes people's sin. The Lord says you're in this, and the Lord says you're doing that. And the Lord, it doesn't expose people. It reveals people. God wants to reveal you, not expose you. The difference is when God reveals you, he shows you the real you the real you that's buried under all of that sin and all of that bondage and all that stuff. All of that stuff is not who you are. When God reveals you, he doesn't expose you. He breaks that stuff off of you and reveals you and causes you to see yourself in a light that you never saw yourself in before, and it's the light of the glory of God. When a prophetic word comes, it doesn't matter how much bondage you're in or how much sin you're in. It cuts through all of that junk. It breaks through all of that stuff, and it gets to the real you, and it's the you that God sees, not the Ishmael, but the Isaac not the one that causes pain but the one that causes laughter God sees you for who you really are and the reason you're in bondage is because you don't see that guy that God sees but God wants to speak to you prophetically and say I see that guy that's why prophecy is the most powerful way to break people out of condemnation and shame because prophecy gets past all of that junk and goes to the you that God sees amen prophecy imparts spiritual gifts Prophecy imparts spiritual gifts. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 14, Paul said to Timothy, do not neglect the gift that was given you through a prophecy when the elders laid their hands on you. He said there was a gift that was given to you through a prophetic word. Stop neglecting it. Why did Paul have to tell him to neglect it? Because he was neglecting it. And you know what it means to neglect it? First of all, to neglect the gift that you have, you've got to stop believing that you have it. Timothy just didn't believe he had anything, and Paul said, no, the problem is you're neglecting the gift you received through a prophetic word. He said, well, he prophesied that I'm a teacher. I don't have any gift of teaching. Well, you didn't before he prophesied it, but when he prophesied it, now you got it. Stop neglecting it. Stir it up. Stir it up. There's a, God wants to impart gifts to you through the prophetic. When the prophetic word comes, it imparts spiritual gifts, and it strengthens you and establishes you. Next, Prophetic words release blessing. Revelation 1, 3. Blessed is he who reads and he who hears the words of this prophecy. Blessed is he who reads and he who hears the words of this prophecy. Prophetic words release people into a place of blessing. And this is the beautiful thing. You know why we share individual prophetic words publicly over the microphone? Because when I shared that word over Ray, it didn't just bless Ray. It blessed everybody up in this place. Prophecy releases blessing into a house. You know, I got a buddy who can't preach but he can prophesy. I went to his church one time and he was preaching and I was thinking, Oh Lord. But he got to the end of his sermon and he pointed out a young lady in the house. He said, you, you ma'am come up here. And she came up and he starts releasing a prophetic word over here. The glory of God just came down. Whoosh. I mean, filled the house. I was like, man, he should have just started that from the beginning. He just I said, if I were him, I would just walk in. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. And by the way, young lady, please come here. <laughs> and now for our morning announcement, Coupled with a prophecy. You, sir. <laughs> you know, I, I would do that. And before the offering, we got another prophetic word. <laughs> you know? But the glory of God was released into the atmosphere through a word of prophecy. That's why we prophesy during worship. What we find is that when we begin to release the prophetic word in the midst of a time of worship, it opens up the atmosphere to a greater manifestation of the glory of God, not just for the individuals that we prophesy over, but for the whole house. Prophecy also mobilizes people. Prophecy mobilizes people. Prophecy can come to you in your state of apathetic laziness and, and, and inspire you to get up off of your lazy behind and do something for God. Kind of like this whole, you know, couch potato syndrome. Jesus, I'm all yours as long as I can sit here and watch my TV and eat chips. You see in the book of Haggai, the people of Israel had been saying, We're gonna build the house of the Lord. And they were all talking about it. We're gonna do this. We're gonna build the house of the Lord. We're gonna do this. We're gonna build us a house for God. We're gonna build God a house. We're gonna build a house and we're gonna do this. We're gonna do this. And somebody said, When are we gonna do it? When it's time. It ain't time yet. But when it's time, we're gonna do this. When it's time, when the right time comes, we're gonna build God a house. Because God need a house up in here. We're gonna build God a house. And they were do you know that mo- that a lot of times believers are nothing but a bunch of talk? a bunch of talk, we're going to do this, we're going to do this, but ain't never doing nothing. And everybody said, but it's not the time. See, it's not the time yet. When the time comes, God's going to show us when the time is. But when the time comes, so when God stirs my heart, God hasn't stirred my heart yet. You know why God hasn't stirred your heart yet? Because you're in the flesh. And when you're in the flesh, you're safe from the proddings of the spirit. So the prophet Haggai jumps up and he says, All of you are saying it's not yet time to build the house of the Lord, but yet it seems to be time for you to build yourselves paneled houses. Is it time for you to build yourselves? Oh, it's the right time to build your own house. It is the right time to think about yourself. But to build the house of the Lord is not time yet. The prophet Haggai said in Haggai chapter 1 verse 8, he said, take careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains and cut down timbers and build me a house that I might take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. And it goes on to say, so the people obeyed. And when the prophetic word came and the next thing you knew, you heard timber. And trees started falling down and holes started being dug out of mountains and rocks started coming out. And, and the foundation, why? Because a prophetic word came that mobilized people, that moved people forward, that said, you've been sitting on your lazy behind. It's time to get up and get about the business of the, of the Lord. Amen. I know I'm not going to get a whole lot of strong amens on that one, but that's okay. You got it. Prophecy also causes people to prosper. Ezekiel six fourteen. it says, so the elders of Israel built, so the elders of the Jews built, and they were prospering because of the prophesying of Haggai and Zechariah. They prospered because of the prophecy of Haggai and Zechariah. The people prospered because of prophecy. Prophecy releases prosperity. And when we're talking about prosperity, we're not just talking about money. Prosperity is when what you do works. That's what prosperity is. Prosperity, we see it in Psalm chapter 1. Blessed is the man that does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by rivers of water. He'll bring forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also will not wither. And whatever he does prospers. Prosperity is when what you do works. Don't you hate it when you do something and it doesn't work? When you hoped it would work, but it didn't work. When you had all kinds of, of anticipation, this is going to work, and it didn't work. When your plans come to nothing, when your hard work falls apart and it comes to nothing, that is not prosperity But when prophecy begins to flow, prosperity begins to be released on a house. And when prosperity is released on a house, people start getting ideas and they work. When prosperity is released on a house, you get business ideas and they work. When prosperity is released on a house, you get ideas for your home and they work. You get ideas for your marriage and they work. You get ideas for your kids and they work. You get ideas for your job and they work. When prosperity comes on you, all of the. But see, prosperity can't do anything for you if you're not doing something. Prosperity is when your plans succeed. If you ain't got no plans, you're not going to prosper. You're praying for prosperity, but ain't doing nothing. Hello? All right. Prophecy releases prosperity. First, it mobilizes you, and then it causes your plans to succeed. Good, good. Moving along. All right. So prophecy transforms the people who hear it. Prophecy also transforms the people who speak it. Not only are those who hear prophecy transformed, but those who speak it are transformed. One of my favorite passages of scriptures is in 1 Samuel chapter 10. And in 1 Samuel chapter 10, there's this encounter between this man named Saul, the son of Kish, and Samuel, the seer. Now, Samuel's called a seer. Do you know what a seer is? One who sees. That messed me up for years. I didn't get that. A seer. And then I realized it's a seer, somebody who sees. Saul was looking for his donkeys. And they said, Go ask the seer. He can see where your donkeys are. Someone who can see into the spirit world is invaluable. Someone who could see things. God wants to raise up seers in the body of Christ, people who can see things that the world can't see. They said, You're looking for your donkeys. Go to the seer. He knows everything. He'll tell you where they are. So Saul goes to Samuel thinking he was going to find some donkeys, but God had far more for him in store than just donkeys. Do you know that when God sends people to you, they come thinking they're, they, they're going to find donkeys. They come asking your advice on, their, on where their donkeys are, but God has you waiting with a word that can transform their lives. That's what happens when we become a prophetic people. Samuel says, don't worry about your donkeys. They've been found. But the reason you came to meet me is because God has chosen you to lead his people Israel. But you can't lead Israel in the condition you're in. A transformative work of the Spirit has to happen in your life. So this is how it's going to work. When you turn and walk away from me, there's going to be a worship team coming down the hill with guitars and tambourines, and they're going to be singing. And there's going to be some prophets with that worship team, and they're going to be prophesying. I want you to join that worship service. And the Spirit of God's going to come on you, and you're going to prophesy. This is 1 Samuel 10 6, and you're going to become another man. You hear that? It says, Saul, the Spirit of God's going to come on you, and you're going to prophesy, and you're going to become another man. So many of you are sitting there thinking, I've got to. Become another person. i got to be transformed, and then I'll prophesy. God says, no, prophesy, and then you'll become another person. You're waiting for God to change you so you can speak his words, and God is saying, no, speak my words, and they'll change you. And Saul walked away from Samuel, and he met that group of prophets coming down the hill. The Spirit of God came on him, and he prophesied, and he was transformed. He became another man, and now he was prepared to lead God's people You know what the problem is? You haven't started prophesying yet. I know you think the problem is you're not spiritual enough or you're too too carnal or you're too this or you're too that. No, you just need to start prophesying. You need to just open your mouth. And listen, when you come to the house of God and there's the whole worship team doing their thing, you should expect the Spirit of God to come on you so that you can prophesy because God wants all of his children to be prophets and speak the word of the Lord. Amen? You're transformed when you prophesy, not the other way around. The thing you need to realize is that the word is near you. Look at your neighbor say it's near you. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 14, Moses said the word is near you. The previous verse, he said the word is not up in the heavens so that somebody has to go get it. It's not out in the sea so that somebody's got to journey way out into the sea. Isn't, isn't that what prayer is typically like? You go into your prayer closet by yourself to pray, and you think i got to go up into the heavenlies and get a word from God i got to go out into the sea to get a word from God. I feel so far. You ever felt far away from God? You ever sat in your prayer closet and cried out to him, Lord, please speak to me? You ever felt like you couldn't hear from God and you were just crying out, Lord, speak to me, Lord, speak to me? Do you realize that experience is unbiblical? Moses said, the word isn't way up in heaven so that somebody has to go way up into heaven and get it. It's not way out into the sea, so you got to go on this long journey. We have it in our minds. If I pray for three hours, then God will start speaking to me. God speaks to him because he prays four or five hours a day, and he fasts. And all of that is the flesh. Not that it's wrong to pray, but to think that you can earn a word from God by praying a certain amount of time is the flesh. It's grace And grace is free. It means that when God gives it to you, he doesn't charge you for it. But we, because we are so prone to think in the flesh, we're constantly trying to pay a price for it. And so we set the price when we get on our knees to pray. We think, okay, maybe if I pray an hour, I'll break through some of this stuff. When Jesus broke through all of it on the cross. Maybe if i memorize five scriptures, God will speak to me. me. Listen, I memorize scripture not to earn a word from God, but because I got the word of God. I pray not to get a word, but because I got a word. I fast not to get a word, but because I got a word. The problem is sometimes I just don't know what it is. But instead of going into my prayer closet and saying, God, speak to me. Oh, God, open my ears. Oh, God, I say, God, I thank you that the word is very near me. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 14. The word is very near you. The Word is very near you. You've got to condition your heart and mind to believe that the Word is very near you. Some of you are desperate for a word from God. Oh, I've got to hear from God. The Word is very near you. It's not far. It is very near you. He said it's in your heart and it's in your mouth to speak it. It's in your heart to believe it, and it's in your mouth to speak it. Stop asking God for a word. It's already in your heart, and it's already in your mouth. It's already there. It's all- Listen, you've got to believe that it's there. You've got to believe the word is already there. The word is there waiting for you. It's sitting in your heart waiting for you. It's sitting in your mouth waiting for you to just begin to speak it. You know, the trick to prophecy is prophesy. Just prophesy. He well, I don't know what to prophesy. Well, you know something. Prophesy that. Prophesy what you know to be true. Prophesy what you know that God has spoken. The thing that you've got to get out of your mind is that God speaks temporary words. God does not speak a temporary word. He said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never pass away. If he spoke it 10 years ago, it's still valid today. I'm still prophesying stuff that he spoke to me when I was 17 years old. Why? Because I haven't seen it come to pass yet, so I'm going to prophesy it until it comes to pass. When God gives me a word, I prophesy it, I tweet it, I speak it, I memorize it, I Facebook it, I, I, I LinkedIn it, I, whatever. I put it on my eBay. (laughs) You know, nowadays, you get friends friend's requests from everything. I want to be your Yelp friend. Why do I need Yelp friends? Getting all of these friends requests, can I be your Craigslist friend? I don't need that. I got Facebook. That's enough. Follow me on Twitter. Anyway, the point I'm making, yes, the word is very near you. The Word is very near you. It's not far. We have to condition our minds and hearts to begin to believe that the Word is near us, and then we need to begin to steward the words of God. How do you steward the words of God? You meditate on it day and night. Do you know what your greatest source of prophecy is? The Bible. It's full of the words of God, and you don't have to test them to see if they're of God. They're all from Him. You know where you want to start? The Bible. God spoke to me one day. I was driving uh, driving to work. The Lord spoke to me. He said, son, prophesy over me. Prophesy over me. I said, God, you're tripping. You do not need a word. He said, son, prophesy to me. I want you to minister to me. You know in Acts chapter 13 it says they ministered to the Lord? They ministered to the Lord. God loves it when we minister to him. And I said, God, how can I prophesy over you? He said, tell me what's to come for me. Speak to me of things to come. And without thinking, I said, you will be exalted in all the earth. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that you are Lord. Before you there was none, and after you there will be no more. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of you as the waters cover the seas. Then comes the end when you will deliver the kingdom to God and you'll make an end of all power and authority for you must reign until you put all enemies under your feet. The last enemy you'll destroy is death. You'll descend from heaven with a shout, with the trumpet of God, with the, archa- the, sound, the shout of the archangel. The dead in Christ will rise first, and we who are alive and remain will be caught up in the clouds to be with you in the air, and so shall we ever be with you. All of a sudden, I realized that prophesying to the Lord, what we call it, is worship. Anytime you worship, you're prophesying to God, and you're speaking to him of things to come. You know, if you start prophesying to God, he'll start prophesying to you. If you start speaking to him of things to come in his life, he'll start speaking to you of things to come in yours. Prophesy to the Lord. Prophesy to the Lord. Speak to him of that which is to come, and he'll open the windows of heaven over your life. You're going to prophesy. You need to begin to believe it. You're going to prophesy. You're going to speak the words of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, I pray today. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you would begin to open the windows of heaven over us. That you would begin to open the windows of heaven over us. Lord, I pray for keen discernment in this house. I pray for open ears and open eyes and open hearts and open minds. And I pray that you would judge by the power of your spirit. That you would begin to teach us to discern between that which is of you and that which is not. And that you would take us into the river and begin to speak to us by your Spirit. Father, I thank you that you have desired a prophetic people, not just a prophetic person. That there's one prophet like unto Moses, and his name is Jesus. But you want us to be in the company. Your vision for the church is the upper room. Everybody prophesies. Everybody speaks the word of the Lord. The Spirit rests on the entire assembly. And God, I pray that you would begin to condition our hearts and minds for that reality. That we begin to live in it. That we begin to expect it. I thank you that you're doing it even now, even as we pray. But I pray you'd teach us to prophesy to you. That we would begin to speak of things to come that we would begin to speak out of the knowledge that we have for surely you've given us a knowledge and a light that you haven't given to the world I pray that we begin to speak out of that light that we would not be ashamed when we look at the current state of events because so often when we look outside it feels like the darkness is winning and so we refuse to prophesy but Lord You promised that darkness would cover the earth and deep darkness the people. But you also promised that the Lord would arise above us and that your glory would be seen upon us, that the Gentiles would come to our light and kings to the brightness of our rising. And I declare, Father, that your people are beginning to arise. Your people are beginning to arise. Arise, shine, for your light has come and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. You are my prophetic people, says the Lord. You are the people that I have chosen for myself, and you will declare my praise. The scripture says that the Lord spoke the word, and great was the company of those who proclaimed it. I say that God is raising up a great company of proclaimers that begin to declare the words that the Lord has spoken. The Lord spoke the word, and great was the company of those who proclaimed it. I say that you are called to be a proclaimer of the words of God. You'll speak of things to come. God has made you a sign. He's made you a wonder. And I speak blessing over your life this morning in the name of Jesus. May you be enriched in all utterance and in all knowledge. May you come short in no spiritual gift as you wait for the revelation of Jesus Christ from heaven. And may times of freshing of refreshing come from the presence of the Father until the day he sends Jesus, whom the heavens must receive until the appointed time. I speak blessing and encouragement, and I release you to hear and to speak the very words of God in the name of Jesus Christ. you know that we have a special service Thursday night. My friend, Per Achvist, I can't say his name right, powerful man of God from Ethiopia is going to be speaking. He's actually Swedish, but he's a missionary to Ethiopia. He does mass crusades there, moves very powerfully in signs and wonders and mighty deeds. As a church planter around the world, planted six churches in the former Soviet Union and uh, just done some mighty work for God. And he's in the Bay Area, and he's going to be preaching Thursday night. So can we just pack out this house Thursday night? Invite your friends, family members. This is a mighty man of God. He sees blind eyes, deaf ears open, the lame walk, all of that stuff. He sees it on a regular basis. And so God uses him mightily. I'm just believing that God's going to use him powerfully here at Living Hope on Thursday night. Hope to see you there. God bless you. We're dismissed.